Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear by taking it out of the driver's seat, step more fully into the essence of who you are, and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. And in order to do all those things, sometimes you just need a really good lawyer. (laughs) I promise you it will make sense in a second when I introduce our guest, who is Andrea Sager. She is a lawyer, entrepreneur, podcast host, and blogger, best known for the Legalpreneur podcast and for revolutionizing legal expertise for small business owners and creatives. I wanted to have Andrea on the show because she is an incredibly creative lawyer with real, actionable advice for entrepreneurs and artists. Her innovative law practice offers all-access memberships where you can pay a flat monthly fee and can access her expertise at any time. Flat fee contracts, and there's even a flat fee for something like a copyright or a trademark if you want to file one of those. It is such a smart, creative, and helpful way of practicing law that really benefits people like you and me. If you've ever wondered how to protect your intellectual property, this is the show for you. From our conversation, you'll learn how Andrea got the guts to take the leap from her high-paying, soul-sucking law job into what she's doing now, the top legal mistakes creatives make and how to prevent them, the importance of LLCs, copyrights, and trademarks, and how to file all of them, some facts on contracts, and why you should never use PayPal. That was a tough pill for me to swallow. Get out your notebook because Andrea is coming in hot with the lawyering. So much helpful information. Now here she is, Andrea Sager. Why did you decide to channel your creative energy into law? What drew you to it? So I wasn't very creative at all when I first started my college career. I actually was in the army, and I jo- wow, yeah, I did ROTC. Thank you for your service. Oh. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was an I was an officer in the army. I was planning to be a JAG officer, and honestly, it, it every and everything has obviously fallen into place and everything's been great. But originally I wanted to be a JAG officer, but I I knew I wanted to go to law school. And luckily that didn't work out. I ended up getting the big firm job, but I quickly realized that was not for me. And I, I had a former business that allowed me to be creative. I had a clothing store and I loved that I was able to curate pieces to sell to my audience. And that's really what got me started into the entrepreneurial world. And then having those, that whole network of business owners contact me when I was at the big firm, I just realized that I, I, I had no opportunity to be creative at the big law firm. And that's what led me to branch out on my own and start my law firm in order to be creative and form those creative solutions for clients today. Yeah. A couple questions. For those that don't know, what is a JAG officer? Yes. that So that is basically an army lawyer. Oh, okay. Wow. So that probably would have been quite a different and differently oh, yeah. intense field. <laughs> yes. In your bio, it clearly states, but it puts it in quotes, that you lasted one year in your quote unquote dream job. I'm curious because every time I've done something similar to this, where like I've taken a job that was prestigious, but I kind of knew deep down that it wasn't for me. When you went into it, did you honestly think that it was your dream or did you have a gut that it wasn't a fit? And what did that feel like? When I was interviewing for jobs, I 
truly did think it was my dream job. But then leading up to actually starting the job, I just knew it was not for me and I knew it wasn't going to last. I remember telling like one of my best friends from law school, I was like, Shelby, this like I'm not going to last like I'm going to make this work as long as I can. But just going into it, I because I had already had that taste of entrepreneur entrepreneurship. So going from being your own boss to working for somebody else like that is never going to work out. I, I don't think it'll ever work out for somebody that is truly entrepreneurial. And that's where I say, I mean, sometimes I say that's where I screwed up, but really that's where I went right is because I got that taste of entrepreneurship. So I knew that it was possible. I knew that I could make things work on my own, but I just had this big shiny object. Hey, I'm making six figures out the gate. I don't like, I just have to show up and I make, you know, $10,000 a month. And I thought that was my dream, but I literally, my first week at the job, I was sitting there at my desk watching these old men walk by in their three-piece suits and it just hit me I was like these guys have been here since they were my age I don't want to sit here every single day for the rest of my life for the next 40 years so yeah (laughs) when you're in a situation like that your body usually gives you some cues that tells you it's time to leave what physical things were going on with you at the time that kind of gave you the hint that you shouldn't be there besides observing the three-piece suit we, so we actually had a miscarriage two weeks before I started that job. So already Sorry. it was just like, okay, I don't even like, I, I just want to be at home with my son. Like, I just want to be home with my family. I don't even want to, you know, spend my life at this law firm just because that miscarriage really just put the fire in me. Like you can't take life for granted. And then I was trying to bring on new clients. So I thought, I literally thought I was a rock star. I was like, oh, I'm a first year attorney. I'm bringing in new clients. And these were other clothing store owners that needed trademark work. And I thought I would be, you know, the rock star first year attorney. But then the firm, the partners at the firm told me, hey, we don't want these clients. They're not quality clients to us. And that's because they weren't billion dollar clients. They were multiple six figure clients. and to them, they weren't quality clients. And it was really that moment where I was told straight, you know, point blank to my face, small businesses are not quality clients. That was what shifted in my head. Like, okay, this is 100% not going to work out. So that moment forward, I was planning my exit and planning on how, okay, so how am I going to go out on my own and serve small businesses? You know, you had that breaking point moment. And you said you started planning, but how did you finally take the leap to go out on your own? And do you have any advice for other people who are kind of like in that similar stage where they've decided they're leaving and they're plotting, but they haven't taken the leap yet? So I was fired. Um, but I, 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 I firmly believe that I manifested being fired because I had, our house was for sale. We had already planned, like we had literally just put our house for sale. We had been planning everything to where I was going to quit. And I remember texting my husband on a Wednesday. I was like, I'm so ready to quit. Like, I can't stand it here. And we had, I think we had just put our house for sale that Monday. And he was like, just wait until we have an offer on the house or a contract. And then we'll, you know, you can quit. And I was like, okay, whatever. So Friday, they walk in, my bosses walk into my office and it took everything in me, like not to show excitement. So I had to like, (laughs) act like I was upset. But the thing is like, I manifested it because I knew that if they let me go, 
they had to give me a severance package. I was going to say, you got, you know, your seed money for the business. Yes. So like it, and that's the moment I knew, like I knew everything was falling into place. I knew I was making the right decision. So we, at the time we were living in Cincinnati and we were planning to move to Houston where we are now. And it was just literally that moment where I just knew. And I literally had to do everything in me to not show excitement. And I had to act sad because it, it was, it was really crazy, but I, they were like, just take the weekend. And I packed up my office, never went back. And so literally within a week we had sold our house and it it ended up being a cash offer on the house. So our realtor had told, they were like, yeah, they're ready to, you know, close. But I told them that you'd have to pack up everything. We're like, nope, we'll be out in a week. So literally everything just fell into place in a matter of like two to three weeks. Wow. So you said you feel like it was the universe basically like pushing you on your way to get toward what you were really meant to do. Were you doing any sort of mindfulness practices at the time that helped you manifest this? Like, no, what were you doing? Okay. No. And this is, that was really the beginning of my, I guess, self-help journey. My, the beginning of my like learning about the law of attraction, all of the manifesting stuff. But it was really that moment where I was like, okay, this is not just a coincidence. Like, right. <laughs> there's something to this. So that's real. Honestly, that's what pushed me to getting to explore more of the creative side and more of the spiritual side. What is your advice for other people who are in that same situation where they're in like the planning stages, trying to plan their exit? Maybe they're not going to get, you know, fired and get that severance package. <laughs> but uh, honestly, it, I, I think it really, that was such a blessing. And, and I've, I've met a lot of people who've had similar things happen and that was, they maybe never would have left the job. You probably would have, but I know a lot of people who wouldn't leave the job unless they were pushed out because it's like golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. But if someone's in that situation and they really want to do it and they're planning for it, what's your advice to them on what they need to get in order? Well, my biggest piece of advice is to actually plan for it because there's so many people like, oh, I wish I could do this. I'd love to do this. And they have all these, like they actually like have these dreams, but they don't create the plan. They don't start planning. And that's honestly the first step. Like we had the plan and yeah, I was pushed out, but I had already, you know, our house was for sale. The whole last month that I was at that firm, I was actually figuring out, okay. Cause at that point I hadn't done intellectual property work. So I had to teach myself everything. So the last month of the job, I literally spent all day just teaching myself how like all, all the laws around trademarks. And wow. so if you have, like, if you're going into a new industry or if you're, you have to figure out, you know, all the digital marketing stuff, actually start learning, actually start planning your exit. Because if you don't, then it's never going to happen because it, you're not going to just wake up one day and just say, Hey, I'm just going to quit my job and I'll figure it out later. I mean, yeah, that might happen, but most likely you're going to get to the point where you're, I mean, nobody's ever truly ready, but it's going to get to the point where you're either forced out or something falls into place where you realize, okay, now it's time, but that's never going to happen if you don't start working towards it. If I hope that makes sense, but no, it does. I mean, I think that a lot of the fear we experience isn't necessarily fear of 
oh my gosh, I'm going to fail. It's fear that we're having because we don't know what the other side looks like. But if we can kind of sketch it out and if we can learn at least part of what we know we'll have to learn, there's always going to be things that we don't know that we'll have to learn and we learn it on the spot. But there's certain things like, let's say you are working as a lawyer and you want to become a hairstylist. Like you have to learn how to cut hair. You know that, you know, like you, you might not know exactly how to go about getting clients or doing that piece of it, but there are certain tactical things you need to get down. So I think that's great advice to really look at what are the things that I know for sure that this next leap will require and how can I learn it now while I have this cushion to make myself feel less fear in jumping into the next thing. Yeah, exactly. And because of that, you can wish all day long, but if you're not taking at least just a little bit of action to get you there, then it's never going to happen. Right. So tell me about what you do now and how it differs from other lawyers and law firms out there. So I serve online businesses. I predominantly practice trademarks. We also do copyrights. There's there's a lot of different spheres to the firm. Now, we also have our all access membership, which essentially provides ongoing, like basically a retainer, but it's very low cost, mm-hmm. provides all access to me and the firm. And is that the subscription services? Yes. So that's probably what most attorneys aren't doing today. I, well, I know that's what attorneys aren't doing today because I've personally heard f- that they're just scared. They don't want, they don't think the subscription is worth it. And I absolutely love the subscription because what most attorneys do is charge hourly. So they'll, you'll set up a retainer, probably pay upfront, you know, five to 10 hours worth of billing. And then anytime you have a question or have a phone call with them, they'll bill against that retainer. So that way they know they're getting their money, but they're billing you for every six minutes that they're communicating with you, thinking about your case, whatever it is, every six minutes they're billing you. And I don't like that practice, number one, because quite frankly, I don't want to keep up with my time. I don't want to account for every (laughs) single minute of my day. And number two, there's a better way to do things. I have my membership where it's $200 a month or about $2,100 for the year. You get unlimited emails, you get phone access, you get document review, you get access to our contract templates, and then you get a discount on other services that you may need. So very low cost and you seriously just get all access to us. And that's, that's been a great way for small businesses to actually have that access to an attorney without having to set up that large retainer, without having to worry about, oh my gosh, I've been like on the the phone for 30 minutes like now it's going to cost me you know so many hundreds of dollars so i'm i'm not about that i'm about just hey we'll keep you you know we'll protect you just you know here's here's how we do things how did you think of doing it this way cuz i think it's so brilliant and honestly i'm sure it creates a lot of i don't know if, i guess client loyalty is what you'd call it right it, yeah. sure it creates a lot of client loyalty because people see that you care about them and are trying to give them the best deal and so they want to stick with you how did you think of doing it this way well honestly i had a it came about because i had a ton of trademark clients who wanted to continue asking me questions and our mo- trademarks are done flat fee based so we also don't charge hourly for that we just have our flat fee and they wanted to come back and continue asking questions. Well, I don't want to bill somebody who asked me literally an email 
sends me an email that takes me two minutes to respond. I don't want to bill somebody for that. But at the same time, all of those emails add up for me. So I was trying to figure out, okay, what is going to be the best option where I can get paid for my time when, but they don't necessarily have to pay an arm and a leg for, you know, the help that they need. So I finally came up with the membership idea and it it actually, I actually had a couple of clients that suggested it and it took a little maneuvering of figuring out what, what services exactly am I going to be offering? And finally I just, I was like, you know what? Messy action. I'll just put something out there and see what happens. Did you get any pushback from colleagues in the law community? And if so, how did you deal with it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, people, there's attorneys all the time. They're like, how do, how do you make money off of that? And quite frankly, I'm like, look, I half the clients I've never spoken to. They just like knowing that they have somebody in their corner that they can go to at any time of day. And then the other half, like, yeah, I'll hop on the phone with them. But at the end of the day, honestly, if we're hopping on the phone, we'll talk through an issue, but it, I'm not losing money. Like I, I'm, I am making money. It's profitable. And then they feel more secure. They feel protected. So they're more likely to spend more money with me by engaging in more services. So it's not just about, Hey, they're paying $200 a month. They're also engaging me in additional services. So it's not just the fee, the membership fees that I'm getting. There's additional fees that I'm making along the way. And other attorneys really just don't understand it. So the way I, the way I explain it to other attorneys is look, if you have a potential client about a certain specific matter, most likely you're going to hop on the phone with them and chat with them for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes about what's going on. And then you can tell them how you can help them. And quite frankly, that's what the membership is. Like we hop on the phone, they can email me all day long, ask their questions. And then when it's time, if they need me to send a letter, if they need to do whatever, then that's not included in the membership. They have, they do have to pay for that because that's additional work that I'm having to do. But having the access to me, plenty of, I mean, I I mean, I do, I do get a lot of emails. So that's one thing that I'm trying to work through right now. Cause right now we're up to like 150 members. So wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, and then we've been at it for right at a year now. Um, so a hundred, about 150 members and the emails is, they're not crazy. Like they need long drawn out answers, but it's just the fact that they're sending emails like, hey, what about this? Hey, can I do this? So it's just the fact that I'm getting to those emails. Yeah, it takes time. Right. Everything takes time. Right. So right now, I think that w- that's like my personal biggest hurdle with handling the membership. I think that this is just such a brilliant thing, not just for law, but like so many of us out there do coaching. Like I do media coaching and you've just sparked my idea of like, you know, I've been doing an hourly rate, but what if I did a membership yeah. and it included like a couple calls a month and unlimited emails and maybe some other little perk, you know, there's so many things we could be doing. And I love that you thought outside the box and 150 clients, like, I mean, listen, yeah, 200 an hour, but that starts to add up when you've got a hundred or 200 a month, but that adds up when you've got 150 people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's so brilliant. And, and, you know, the reason I asked that Andrea is because my friend, I've been trying to convince her to do something like what you're doing for a long time, but she said all the same things that 
you said other lawyers say, like, I don't know how you make money doing that. It's a risky proposal. I'm like, yeah, but you're also risking like you're maybe not going to get any calls for a month, whereas this just keeps going. Mm -hmm. And yeah, feel free to tell her to reach out to me because the thing is, I'm not saying this like in a very salesy manner as like that I'm grimy and sleazy when it comes to sales. But honestly, what the membership is, it's just an opportunity for me to sell more to the clients. Right. Besides the fact that I like they I do a very good job of, you know, really becoming their friend and really getting to know their business like I am in their business. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's like I if I suggest something to them that they need for their business, like, yep, done, let's do it. Whereas if it's just a random, you know, potential client who has no relationship with me and I say, hey, you need this for your business. They're they may be hesitant because they don't know me. They don't know you know, I, I don't, may not know the details of their business that they feel like I should, but as with the membership, I do. I, I mean, I know their business. I am in it. And when I suggest something, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just brilliant. And I think you're going to spark a lot of people from this conversation and thinking about how they could reevaluate the way that they're making income and structuring their business. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into some deep lawyering. <laughs> Let's do it. So what are some of the top mistakes you see creatives making from a legal perspective and how can we stop making them? Oh, good questions. <laughs> okay. So there's really two big ones that I see, especially with online businesses. Number one is photos. Do not use a photo unless you took that photo, you hired a photographer to take that photo, or you paid for a proper license for that photo. And not necessarily paid for it, but have a proper license for the photo. Because this is the top reason why business owners get in trouble is by using photos that don't belong to them or they don't have a proper license to use. And that is 100% copyright infringement. Doesn't wow. matter if you give credit. So if you post, you know, if you post a photo on Instagram and you're like, oh, photo by so-and-so, well, guess what? If they didn't tell you that you can post that photo, that is copyright infringement and they can sue you for it. <gasps> oh, might have to go through the Instagram feed today <laughs> and take some things down. <laughs> well, and people, so a lot of times people don't get, they don't understand it, but celebrities are constantly being sued by paparazzi because maybe a celebrity finds a photo that the paparazzi took of them. And it, if it's a photo of just the celebrity and they put, even if they post it and it's just a photo of them, well, guess what? It's still copyright infringement because they did not take the photo. Copyrights protect creative works of art and the work of art in a photo belongs to the photographer. So even if you said, let's say uh, Sally Sue took my picture, and she's a paparazzi person, and I posted it, would that, and I give Sally Sue credit, is that still copyright infringement? 100%, yes. Wow. Well, that is very important to know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, okay, because I've definitely posted like Getty images before, and I gave them credit. But that's copyright infringement. Like it was a Getty image of me, but that's still copyright infringement. Yes. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Taking it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay. And then you said there was another one. Yes. And the other one is trademarks. So names. If it, a big one right now is podcast. 
I, so I attend podcast movement. I, you know, I exhibit there, I speak there and podcasters don't realize that the name of your podcast can be infringing on somebody else's podcast. It doesn't matter if you're a hobbyist. It doesn't matter, you know, if you plan to make millions of dollars from your podcast, you still have to be very aware of trademarks when selecting your podcast name, when selecting, you know, the tagline for your podcast or whatever it is, trademarks still play a humongous role in podcasts. So how do we discover whether or not somebody has a trademark on something that we're creating, whether it's a podcast, a song, a business? Yeah. So the trademark office has, you know, you can go to the trademark office, USPTO.gov and go to the TESS database, T-E-S-S, and search trademarks. However, you have to also know how to read the database. So if you search, you know, whatever you search, some stuff may come up, but it may it may not necessarily be registered. You have to look at the dead, alive signals, look to see if it's actually registered or if it's just an application. And then on top of that, you also have to look at common law trademarks. So those are unregistered trademarks. So let's say, you know, you have your podcast name is ABC. If you're just starting your podcast named ABC and there's another podcast that's been around already for a, for a year that's named ABC, well, guess what? You would be infringing on them even if they don't have the trademark registration. Now, I don't want to get too deep into that because there's, you know, there's different strategies around that. You can, you know, go apply for the trademark and then they would force, like, they would have to spend a lot of money to get you to cancel the registration. Like, there's a lot in there. But just know that the default law is whoever is in business first owns the name to the trademark. And then it's not just a matter of who has the exact same name. It's also what names are confusing confusingly similar. So if, you know, you're starting podcast name ABC and there's another podcast out there named ABCD or ABCs, well, guess what? You could still be infringing on their podcast because if the two are so similar that consumers or listeners are likely to be confused by who owns what, that is trademark infringement. Okay. That is a lot to think about. Now, when you're going about this process, so let's say you've had something out there for like a year, you don't see anything else out there that's like it, but you haven't done the actual work of trademarking it. You basically just have the common law one that you talked about. Mm -hmm. What should one do to go about protecting themselves? Do we need to reach out to a lawyer? Do Is it possible to do it on your own? What would be your recommendation? Yeah, so it's absolutely DIYable. So everything's figureoutable. You can absolutely file on your own at USPTO.gov. Now, if you're going to do it yourself, then go straight to the trademark website. Don't use like one of those cheap third-party sites such as LegalZoom or Trademarkia or there's plenty out there. Like if you Google like how to file a trademark for cheap, like there'll be all these websites that pop up, but guess what? They're not a law firm and the only thing you're paying them for is to use their specific form. If you mess up your application, then guess what? They can't fix your application because they're not an attorney. And if you mess it up, then they're going to have to, they have to mess it up because they cannot fix it for you. So the 
only thing you're paying those sites for is to use their specific form. So if you want to do it yourself, go straight to the trademark office. If you don't want to figure it out, if you're like, listen, I don't want to mess with all that. I'll just hire an attorney. Then go to a small business attorney. Uh, So myself and many other small business attorneys, we charge flat fees for trademarks. So it's not, you know, it's not a surprise whenever you get your bill, you just pay the flat fee and it's done. And how much is it about? So we charge right now we have a flat fee of 1400 and that includes the search and the filing fee. So, and they, and I would say that's about average because I've seen them range anywhere from like 900 to 3000 with small business attorneys. So I would say that's somewhere in the middle. Um, we, and the search is, so for us, we require the search be, and the search isn't just looking for this same exact name. We're not just looking at the trademark database. We have to find out number one, are you infringing on anybody? So not just looking for the same exact name, anything similar enough to cause confusion. And then there's many reasons why your application can be refused in the process. So we're looking at, okay, is there a chance that you will see any refusals in the trademark process because it's, you know, it's a money investment. It's a time investment. So we want to make sure we're not wasting your time or money. Once we file your application, it takes at a minimum six to seven months to get approved. So we want to make sure that we're not wasting your time or money. And we want to make sure that your chances of getting approved are high. So I was going through this process a while back with something. And it was a a thing that had many different offshoots. Like it was a media brand and I was thinking of making it into a book and a product line. And I was told at that time that all of those things needed to get separate trademarks. Is that true? Even if it's the same name? So it's not necessarily separate trademarks. It's just different classes. So when you file your trademark application, you have to select at least one class. And there's a total of 45 different classes of goods and services. Everything falls under at least one. So the media company, that is one class. And then the books would be a different class. So everything that you do falls under a different class. So a lot of the common applications that we file online courses and podcasts, those, those actually fall under one. Um, since podcasts are so new, especially with the trademark office, podcasts can be filed in two separate classes. So when we're doing the search, we evaluate everything. And sometimes it's more advantageous to file in a different one class over the other. So that's where a lot of the strategy comes in. Like, okay, well, if we're going to have issues in this one class, should we just go ahead and file in this other class? So it's definitely figure outable if you want to do it yourself. But if there are issues, you definitely want to have an attorney help you out. And if you know that there are other similar names out there, then you definitely want to probably use an attorney because there's so much strategy involved. Like I just got off the phone this morning with somebody who has a clothing store and a salon, a hair salon. And we, there's similar names out there for both. So we have to get really strategic on exactly how to describe the goods and services. So that's just one example of 
where she, I mean, she definitely needs an attorney, but I, I mean, I, I'm not somebody that's like, yeah, you have to use an attorney. Like, absolutely. You can DIY it, but right. if you run into issues, you definitely need to work with an attorney. So basically, especially if budget is limited, try to DIY it. If it gets complicated, reach out to a lawyer like yourself that has a flat fee service for it. Exactly. And what is the difference between a trademark and a copyright? And when do you need each? Yeah, so the quick way to distinguish the two is copyrights equal content. So this podcast content here, the contents within a book, your blog posts, your videos, your photos. So just think daily content that's being produced, that's all protected with a copyright. And then trademarks equal branding. So anything that identifies your brand, think your brand name, your logo, your slogan, your podcast name, the name of your course, anything that has a unique name within your business and it identifies your business, then it can be, most likely it can be protected with a trademark. So like for my firm, Andrea Sager Law, that's our brand name and that is protected with a trademark. Within the brand, we have the Legalpreneur podcast, which is the name of the podcast. And then we also have the Legalpreneur membership. Those are also protected with a trademark. Got it. And then do you need, in your professional opinion, each of those before you even start something? Is that ideal? It definitely is ideal. I So I typically work with small business owners who don't have a large budget. So I tell clients, look, if you're just starting out, at least just start with the trademark search with an attorney because the attorney that does the trademark search will give you the assurance that you need that you're not infringing on anybody else. So basically you have the peace of mind moving forward, knowing that you're not infringing. And when the time comes, you can file. And when clients ask, Hey, you know, like if I'm just starting out, should I file? Well, yes, you should file as soon as possible. But if you are on a budget, then I tell clients to wait until they have momentum in their business. Because if you're just launching, you don't know if it's going to work out. And I don't, you know, like, obviously I'm all about mindset, but at the same time, I'm also logical. So if you're just launching your business and you don't have tons of money, don't file a trademark because six to seven months down the road, you may have decided to close the business or, you know, pivot and start something else. So, and same thing goes with courses. I get clients all the time like, oh, I'm going to launch these five courses. I want to trademark all five names. And I'm like, okay, well, let's wait until you have some momentum with the course because I've seen, you know, I've worked with plenty of clients who have flopped launches and, you know, like, yeah, it sucks, but also you don't want to waste the money on the course. So at the very least, do the trademark search. Could you get in trouble retroactively? Like if you, let's say you launched a course, it flopped, but it's still out there. Could you still get in trouble for that even though you're not actively working on it? Yes, you can. But the reality of it is it's not easy to get damages in a trademark lawsuit. So most people don't sue for trademark infringement just because there's no damages to get. Right. So people will probably just say, hey, you're breaking my trademark. Take it down. Yep. And you'll take it down. Yep. And so this is actually one of the top reasons why I have a lot of new clients filing trademarks. So if you find somebody 
online that is infringing on your trademark. Maybe they have this your Instagram handle and you've been in business for 10 years. They just started last year. Or maybe, you know, podcast names. Maybe they have the same podcast name as you and, you know, people are telling you, hey, like, I thought this, I listened to this podcast because I thought it was you. Well, if you have the federal trademark registration, you can petition the online platform where it's hosted and most likely they'll remove that page or they will they will remove that podcast but you have to have the federal registration so okay i'm also a musician and within the music industry you hear a lot of different things about copyright some people say and i know <laughs> i know that this probably isn't true but there is there are people out there who are of the opinion that it, the minute you write something down and record it it's like technically yours and copywritten mm-hmm. what have you seen in that world if anything and like when does the song need to go directly to the copyright office like what protection do you actually need in place so that that's actually true the moment you create something it is protected with a copyright as long as it is unique and it meets the minimum creativity standards so you don't what are those it, it's very arbitrary. I mean, the copy, I mean, the copyright office says, Hey, it has to be unique and it has to be creative enough. Like, okay, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows, but I mean, they, I mean, they say specifically short quotes are not protected. I, I work with a lot of designers as well, besides podcasters and musicians. So design like t-shirt designs, it has to be more than just words. So it can be like the prettiest font in the world, but if it's just letters on a t-shirt, it, then that design is not protected with a copyright. So you have, so the moment you create it, it's protected with a copyright. However, you can't sue until you have applied for and heard back from the copyright office. And if you actually have the registration before somebody infringes on your copyright, then you're eligible for statutory damages. And why this matters is number one with copyright cases, it's very hard to prove damages. So, you know, Lauren, let's say you write this song and 10 people listen to it. And then I don't know, Taylor Swift goes and plays that song and millions of people listen to it and it blows up. Well, yeah, maybe Taylor Swift made millions of dollars, but just because she made millions of dollars doesn't necessarily mean you would have made millions of dollars. So, you're not necessarily entitled to all of those damages. And it's like, okay, well, what damages am I entitled to? Well, nobody really knows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you have, if you're eligible for those statutory damages, then essentially it's a, essentially it's easier to prove damages and the other party has to pay for your attorney fees. If you have to sue them for damages. So it's a very, very big bargaining chip. So with our clients, we try to get them clients that are consistently creating new copyrights. We try to get them into the routine of consistently uh, submitting their applications the moment they create the work, because our clients are getting knocked off left and right, especially our designer clients. So if we have that registration before they're infringing, then it's a big bargaining chip. Number one, to get the other party to stop using it. And number two, we're most likely to get a settlement payment without having to sue them. Wow. So let's say I'm the person with the copyright or the trademark, and I see somebody else is out there hawking my IP as their own. 
What should I do? The first, so it, it depends who it is. Number one, if, I mean, if it's somebody big, then definitely contact a lawyer. If it looks like it's Susie Homemaker who just, you know, started whatever she's doing like yesterday or last month, then you may not need a lawyer. The first thing I tell my clients to do is reach out yourself. Because if it looks like somebody who's brand new in business, they most likely didn't know they were infringing. And especially if they just started, they're most likely not making much money. So it's not worth it, number one, to have me send a letter that costs a few hundred dollars. And number two, we're definitely not going to sue them. So if you can reach out yourself and they stop, they you know, they take it down and, and they stop using it or whatever, then that's it. Like you don't have to spend any more money. It was just you reaching out to them. But if they, you know, you reach out and they, they're just like, screw you, whatever, or they continue infringing. That's when I tell clients to get me involved or, you know, get an, get an attorney involved is if they're, they basically don't listen or if they're continuing to infringe. Okay. Got it. Tell me a little bit about LLCs, like what are they and when should we be one? Like, when should we go from just being a person to being an LLC? (laughs) Good question. So I, so my answer to this is probably going to be different than your CPAs. Like if you're listening and you have a CPA, my answer may be different than your CPAs. And that's because your CPA or your accountant or your bookkeeper, they're mainly looking at your financial picture. I am looking at your overall picture and your liability. So my answer is you need to be an LLC as soon as possible. So I'm launch. I'm about to launch a brand new company. It's, I mean, it's related. I mean, it's brand new, but it's related to what I'm doing already, but I have not started selling. I have already filed my LLC because I could do something now that could cause me to get sued. And if I'm not already an LLC, well, guess what? It's not retroactive. So if you launch your business on day one, day two, you do something that causes you to get sued. And day three, you start making millions of dollars and you're like, oh, I'm making all this money. Let me go ahead and file on the file for the LLC. Well, guess what? It's not retroactive to day two. So you're screwed. You don't have that LLC protection. So if somebody sues you, they can come after your personal assets. They can come after your house, your car, anything that you personally own because there was no separation the time you committed the act. Wow. So basically today yeah. is when, when you need to become an LLC. Because yes. the other thing I was going to ask is like, a lot of us are hiring out little things all the time. Like, let's say I have a guitar player on one of my songs. He comes in, plays, a, uh, you know, for two, three hours. I pay him a few hundred dollars. We don't work together again. Are there any legal protections that need to happen during that time? I know that this is maybe getting into something that's out of your immediate focus, but what, like, at what point do you need to start protecting yourself when you're hiring independent contractors? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I mean, number one, the number one protection that you need is an LLC. And then you need insurance. So commercial general liability insurance. So if you work with an insurance broker, just tell them you need a CGL policy. And most of the time, depend. I mean, obviously insurance is a headache and it always depends. But most of the time, if you're sued and you have insurance, they will pay for your defense. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's a ton of protection that you need in place. Number one, I mean, the very basic and where you need to start like yesterday is having an LLC, which is a limited liability company. And you'll hear, okay, should I be an LLC or an S corp? Should I be a C corp? So an S corp is actually not a business entity. An S corp is a tax status. So it's electing how you're taxed. And most of the time when you hear an accountant say, oh, just wait till you're making $100,000 or 200000 whatever it is, whatever dollar number they want you to wait for to file as an LLC, in their heads, what I have found a lot of times in their head, when you file the LLC, you always want to file the S corp election, which is the tax status. And I don't, I don't want to get into that, but you still need the LLC protection as soon as possible. And you'll hear people say, well, they're probably not going to sue you if you're not making much money. Well, you don't know. There's people are crazy. You never know when somebody's yeah. going to sue your business. And if you're not an LLC, guess what? If you're and and at the at the same time, let's say personally you have a high net worth and your business doesn't have very high of a net worth or v- vice versa, if your business has a high net worth and you personally don't have a high net worth and you get in a car accident and the you cause the car accident, if the other person sues you personally, and you don't have the money to pay them, pay the judgment, then they can still go after your business assets if you're not an LLC. Wow. You are such a wealth of knowledge. And I just want to point out too, you have this podcast, the Legalpreneur podcast, and you go in depth on all these things on there. So everybody, please check that out because this is invaluable information that we all need to know. One thing you talk about on there is contracts, why you need them, how contracts should grow your business, service contracts versus product-based contracts. I know we don't have time to go deep and dirty with them, but could you give some general outlines of what they, when you should use them and, and how they serve you as a small business owner? 
Yes. So, and this, this is funny that you ask, cause this is actually the new business that I'm starting. You always need to use a contract, no matter I don't care if you hire as an independent contractor, your best friend of 12 years or wh- whoever, you always want to have a contract. And it's not because, Hey, I want to throw something in there to screw this other person over. No, like yeah, there's people out there like that. But the point of a contract is to lay out expectations and to lay out the rights and duties of both parties. And quite frankly, I'm so scatterbrained. If I don't write it down in a contract, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to be providing to the other person, or I don't know what the other person's supposed to be providing to me. So that's why you need to have the contract is writing down all of the specifics. And that's why issues arise. So some people will say, oh, well, I used to have issues when I, or, you know, I have all these issues with contracts or, and I don't use them, but then you may hear people that are like, oh, I do use written contracts. I don't really have issues. Well, some people may say that some people don't find the correlation that it's because they have the written contract that they don't have issues. So yeah, you do have to spend money up front to get the contracts, but guess what? You're going to spend less money by paying for them up front than if you did by not using a contract and defending yourself down the road. Now, I personally, especially with small business owners and startups, I personally believe that not every business needs brand new custom contracts the moment they start their business. And this is because, again, you're probably on a budget And quite frankly, you probably don't know exactly what's going to work for you and your business. So if you immediately go to work with an attorney, I'm going to tell you what you need and I'm going to tell you (laughs) best practices, but then you're going to start your business and you're going to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. So then you have to spend more money and get that contract edited, which it may not be a bad investment to, you know, have a great contract up front. But what we have created is a new company that is selling just contract templates. And these are templates created by specifically by me and my team specific to different online industries. So, you know, if you're a podcaster and you need to hire a podcast producer and you go to Google and look for, you know, podcast producer agreement, well, It may be hard to find one, but if you're looking for an independent contractor agreement, you're going to find a generic independent contractor agreement. So what we have created is we've identified a lot of the top online industries, the most used contracts for different industries, and we have created templates specific to those parties. So, I mean, anything from like a podcast guest consent, a guest blog post agreement, an influencer agreement a, you know, terms and conditions, a privacy policy. We've created all those contracts specific to each industry. And those are templates that you can use, you know, on your own. You don't have to have an attorney review them. You don't have to have an attorney custom create them for you because the way I see it is my clients work best when they have a template to work with. And then they graduate as their business grows, they graduate to a custom contract. So if you're just starting out, you can just start out at a minimum minimum expense by getting our contract vault. You get all the contracts included. And then as your business grows, you can invest in custom contracts. You say on your blog, you should never use PayPal. And I'm very concerned. I definitely need to hire you, Andrea. Um, <laughs> why? <laughs> so 
so this so anytime i talk about that people actually go crazy because they're like what do you mean like paypal's the best what are you talking about well paypal is amazing for e-commerce if you're actually shipping something paypal is absolutely what you should use However, if you are a service provider, PayPal is absolutely what you should not be using because specifically in their terms, PayPal says they will not protect you if you are a service provider. And I, you know, I've heard everything from people that, hey, I, you know, I'm a service provider and somebody filed a chargeback with PayPal and I fought my case and I won. Well, yeah, PayPal will help you plead your case. Like they'll hear out the case and then they'll side with you or whatever. But then... If the client goes directly to their credit card company and files a chargeback, that credit card company is going to take that money from PayPal. PayPal is then not like the PayPal can't plead their case with a credit card company. The credit card company just takes the money from PayPal. So PayPal then just takes the money from you. In that situation, if you're e-commerce, PayPal just eats that, eats that chargeback. If you're a service provider, PayPal takes that money from you. But other providers that do work with service providers such as Stripe, they do like if your service provider, they, you know, the client files a chargeback with the credit card company or Stripe and you can sufficiently plead your case and show all the evidence, Stripe will then eat that money on behalf of you and you'll still get to keep your money. So you recommend Stripe. What do you think about Zelle? I honest, so I, I need, I should have already like looked into all of the payment processors. Um, but I don't know for sure. Um, I, Zelle, it seems more, it's more like a check, right? It's like an online I, check. Yeah. I think Zelle is okay because it's a direct bank transfer. I don't know for, so I know Stripe is okay. And this is actually recent. I think in 2018, that's when Stripe decided, Hey, we're going to protect our service providers. Um, and I, I honestly don't know about the rest. I, I think that's what I'm going to do for our upcoming podcast episode because I get this question every time I talk about PayPal. It's like, okay, well, besides Stripe, what can we use? Uh, I should know that. <laughs> hey, it's okay. We're all learning. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> <laughs> as a small business owner yourself and as somebody who oversees a lot of small businesses, what are some important things to invest in right away, especially if you have a limited budget? Yeah. I mean, number one, definitely get your LLC. Number two, you always need contracts. So whenever, so when somebody signs up as a legalpreneur, we take them kind of through our checklist. Okay. Do you have an LLC? Do you have contracts? Cause we include our contract vault with the legalpreneur, but now with the new company, we're just separating it out to where other people can purchase it. So LLC, then contracts, and then you can also look at intellectual property. You can do it all at once. Absolutely. But the natural progression if you're on a very limited budget is LLC first, then contracts, and then intellectual property registrations. Is there anything else? I mean, we've done a pretty comprehensive (laughs) lawyering deep dive, but is there anything else that you would want somebody listening who really has, who's a creative, who's been putting content out there maybe for years, hasn't protected themselves? Is there one final message you would like to give them that they should try to start doing today? I mean, I know LLC anything else? I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but (laughs) (laughs) there's like, there's so much I could talk about here, but DMCA takedown notices. Those are specifically for copyright holders. And 
I, I, I'm not going to explain everything here, but those are specifically for copyright holders. And that's how you can actually police your own work online. And that, that's specifically what we do for some of our clients. Um, and besides that, I mean, go listen to my podcast because we take a much deeper dive into some of these subjects. Yeah. Listen to her podcast, go to her website. I'm going to give you all the plugs at the end, but it, she is seriously a wealth of knowledge and she's doing really important work and stuff that, you know, so much content for free, but also if you do need to purchase something really affordable in the world of law. So my final question for you, Andrea, is um, I believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. If you and her, your younger version of yourself, were standing in the same room looking at each other, what do you think she would say to you and why? Oh my God, you just gave me like goosebumps. <laughs> That's like so crazy to think about. That's amazing. Honest, <laughs> honestly, what I think like little me would say is like, that is so cool. Aww. Like I, I'm, I don't know if I was supposed to give like some more elaborate answer, but I think like knowing me and my language, I would just think that is so cool doing what I'm doing now. Like, and I think like every day, I think it's so cool. Like I get to work with, I get inside of so many different businesses. Like I get all like, I get to know so many things and just get to see the inside of so many businesses and see how like inspiring all these different women and men are that are just trying to make a living on their own like it's amazing I I love I love what I do Mm. and final final question what would you say to little you and why keep going and don't get discouraged when you feel like an outsider Well, Andrea, you have enlightened me. I can't wait to hire you. And (laughs) I really appreciate all of your insight. And basically, you just opened up your whole law school brain and poured it out into this podcast. So thank you so much for being on Unleash Your Inner Creative. And thank you for taking a creative approach to law. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to my guest, Andrea Sager. For more info on Andrea and to work with her, go to her website, andreasager.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-S-A-G-E-R. You can also follow her at Andrea Sager Law and listen to her podcast, Legalpreneur, wherever good podcasts are found. Thanks, Liz Full, for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you liked what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow the show on Spotify, share the show with a friend, and post about it on social media. If you do that, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Right now, you can also pre-save my song Freak Show, which is out on October 2nd at the link in my Instagram bio. My wish for you this week is that you set up that LLC, baby. You're worth it. And I'm probably going to have to listen back to the show like four times to fully comprehend everything Andrea taught. So much great information. Super grateful to her. Have a great week. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you Friday for the check-in.